What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and today we're going to be talking about biblical masculinity. In biblical counseling, we address issues of varying types. A lot of times I've heard it compared to biblical counseling is there for triage stuff. So think of triage when something has gone bad in your life. You know, you've had a crisis, that hair on fire type of moment, conflict resolution, panic attack, extreme depression, and biblical counseling often steps in to help and say, hey, how can we reframe this according to God's word? And how can we encourage you to respond according to God's word? Uh, those are often triage issues. And, and triage, in a sense, is kind of like the ambulance that's waiting at the bottom of the hill. And it's an important ambulance. Uh, there are lives that are saved through that. Yet at other times, there's a pathway at the top of the hill where we say, well, maybe there's some guardrails that we can put up. And in establishing those guardrails, we won't have as many disastrous occasions. And we'll steer clear of the edge that could be so fatal to us. And that's one of the topics I'd like to address today, which is biblical masculinity. What does it look like to be a man? Now, I want to break it down to simple terms. As you consider this topic, there are a few errors that you can make. To become a man is something that is associated with being a husband. And biblically, to be a man, you have to be married and you have to then lead your family well. And, and those are true and those are accurate and those correspond to a man who is married. But I don't actually want to focus on what it means to be a man who is married. I would like to zoom out a bit further than that, not just a man who is married, but what does it mean to be a man in general? At this point, I have three boys. This conversation comes up regularly in our house. So what does it mean to be a man? And I have a, at this point, a 12 year old an eight-year-old, and a one-year-old. Here is what I would tell my eight-year-old. So I, I want to try to answer this from a very clear third grade, let's get a definition. What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? If I can explain that to my eight-year-old son and help him establish what's different about him and what should be different about him, I'm going to do it in, in three general ways. First, we're going to talk about how God has created him differently. And as a man, our bodies, our anatomy, it's different from women. And that's good. Uh, we rejoice in that. Our voices are deeper. Our arms are hairier. Typically, our shoulders are broader. You know, we have certain anatomical features that are different. And boom, yes. That is our biology. That is our body. And as a man, there's no shame in having neck hair because God created us with neck hair. So we rejoice in the way that God has created us. And we know that that's part of what it means to be a man. But the next aspect is what does the Bible say about manhood? What does the Bible teach? And these are often character traits. So character traits of a man, things that correspond to a man primarily and when we walk through these character traits together, I hope to show you that 
what the Bible says about a man is is distinct to manhood, and that there are many times when this is directly relatable to men and not to women, something that God calls a man to be. So first category is that of your body. The second is that of the Bible. And the third category is that of what the culture sees to be expressions of masculinity. Cultural expressions of masculinity are things that are often what your immediate culture expects a man to do or a man to be. Uh, Let me explain this for a second. You know, I I come from Georgia. My wife and I are actually from Savannah, Georgia. So for those of you that are listening from Georgia, hello, my friends. Yet in Georgia, we had a kind of like a perspective of what manhood should look like. And it means that you probably wear your hunting jacket, which is camouflage. Uh, You should have a truck, obviously, because you need to be able to drive four-wheel drive. And if you don't have a four-wheel drive truck, like what what kind of man are you really in the end? And uh, most likely, you know, like there are a couple of other things. Maybe you love sports, you chew tobacco, you wear a hat, you know, you wear cowboy boots. And that's what manhood looked like for me in Southern Georgia. And yet when I came to Southern California, uh, there weren't very many four-by-four trucks. There was eco-friendly vehicles Uh, There were Priuses and things of that nature. I don't recall the last time that I've seen a guy wearing a camouflage jacket around town or out on a Friday night. Some of the expressions in Southern California are actually quite different from expressions in Southern Georgia. So there there are cultural expectations of what a man looks like. As we finish this series... I'm going to do my best to explain how our cultural expectations need to be vet and compared against what the Bible says and who God has created a man to be in his body. Because there are times when our culture expects right things of a man, and as a man, we do our best to honor that and to recognize that we're going to do our best to live out biblical masculinity within this culture. So we're in North America. What does it look like to be a man in North America? And we're going to honor that as best as we can. And there are other times when we actually have to say, hey, culture, you've gotten it wrong because what you expect of a man is not what God expects of a man through his scripture or what you expect of a man is anti-body. You know, like I, I should not be expected to change my anatomy to fit a cultural expectation of manhood. So what is a man and what makes a man a man and not a woman? I want you to remember those three categories. Number one, the way that God has made you, your body. Number two, what the Bible says about you and what the Bible identifies for masculinity. And number three, honoring cultural expectations of manhood. Those three categories, because those three categories are going to help us frame biblical manhood and then living according to biblical manhood within your current culture. A few more caveats, and then let's continue to tease this out. In light of your culture, in light of your preferences, and even in light of your own tendencies, manhood can deviate towards your own culture, tendencies, and personal preferences. So if you're not careful, you begin to think of what makes a man a man based off of your own context and how you envision manhood. Some of you have been blessed with really godly, strong men in your life. And you can look at those individuals and say, that is what a man looks like. 
and you might be right by and large. Maybe there are aspects of what they do that are godly, strong, manly characteristics. And yet others of us, we don't have that privilege. Uh, we were raised by our mom. We had no significant relationship with our dad. The only time we saw him, he was actually very unkind and unhelpful. And so what you judge a man by is kind of an anti, like don't do what I've seen in these other contexts. In that way, we're establishing patterns for manhood and a reaction to what we've seen. We've seen a hyper-masculinized man that we don't like. Hyper-masculinity is where we have this John Wayne for Jesus mentality. You know, real men don't cry. They drive four-by-four trucks. They're kind of rude with their words. They watch football. They bark orders at people. There used to be this show back in the 90s with Tim the Toolman Taylor. And there would be these moments where he would kind of like react in this visceral manly way and he would start grunting like, ar, 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 ar. You guys remember this show? Tim the Toolman Taylor, ar, ar. Or you're working on your car in your garage. You're watching football. Or, 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 or. Well, that's not exactly the way that the Bible is going to portray manhood. And just because that's what you see and that's what you're drawn to, you have to guard against saying, well, that is what it really means to be a man. And anybody that doesn't work on their car in their garage and anybody that doesn't watch football isn't a real man. Or, 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 or. Uh, that's one side. But another side is where manhood is so flattened that you don't differentiate between what is a man and what makes a man a man and not a woman. When you flatten manhood so much that you're virtually the same thing as a woman and what you're describing, you're also losing something here. This is where we have effeminate males, males that are very very much like a woman, character traits, social skills, mannerisms, even dress. And you think to yourself, there's something odd about this to me. What is it that's odd about this? Well, if I flatten what is expected of a man and I can't offer the distinction, what makes a man a man and not a woman, now I have trouble. That's where I have effeminate males. Or that's where I have passive males. That's where I have males that lack courage and are weak in those ways. So it, the answer is not Tim the Toolman Taylor where we say, everybody, get a wrench. We're going to the garage, man. Come on. And the answer is not to flatten malehood to say, well, you know, like we're all equal in God's sight. There's not really a whole lot of distinction. No, there is a distinction. God has created that distinction. And yet we maintain equality between genders. So what does the Bible have to say about manhood? That's where I want to take you. So if body identifies what it means to be a man, the Bible identifies what it means to be a man, and that is expressed in your culture, then let's spend some time talking about what the Bible describes as biblical masculinity. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to introduce the first trait of a man, which is to be courageous. We will be right back. All right, folks, so we're going to take just a small break here, but don't go anywhere because we have some really important stuff still left to chat about. Well, actually, Dr. Gifford does. He's been talking about biblical masculinity, and boy, is this not just an essential conversation 
We have so many cultural stereotypes that over the years have influenced our understanding of what it means to be a man and what masculinity really looks like. And Dr. Gifford has taken the time to explain that biblically. And this is information we desperately need. And we also have another fantastic resource that goes hand in hand with today's episode. I would commend to you to go to our website, transform.org, and check out The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. Let me give you just a little glimpse into what you're going to get if you pick up this resource. He says, godliness is more than Christian character. It's Christian character that springs from a devotion to God. It's taking on the yoke of Christ so that he might teach us what he himself is, meek and lowly in heart. The book's going to help you grow in your understanding of biblical masculinity and how to live it out in your everyday life. So head on over to transform.org and grab a copy. Trust me, you're not going to regret it. And also, while you're there, something else you can do that I promise you won't regret is the big favor of considering becoming a gospel partner and supporting our ministry because it's the generosity of people just like you that help keep the lights on around here, but also continue giving us the opportunity to produce Transform. So come on and join the team and help us continue producing content that helps struggling people. For more information on how to become a gospel partner, just log on to transformed.org. But you're already going to be there, remember, because you're going to check out The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. So check out how to become a gospel partner while you're there and something else to check out while you're there is another amazing resource that I want to recommend. It'll help kickstart your journey to becoming a biblical counselor. If you're thinking about or have ever thought about becoming a biblical counselor and forming a biblical counseling ministry in your local church, pick up Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. It's written by Paul David Tripp. Here's a little snapshot. Quote, God calls each of us to be part of the body of Christ where we function as instruments of change in the Redeemer's hands. Change in the lives of others is not just the job of the professional counselor, it's the responsibility of every member of the body of Christ. So again, if you've ever thought about becoming a biblical counselor, or you just want to be better equipped to help other people, then this book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp, is the perfect starting place. You can find it at transform.org as well. All right, so that's it up for me. Let's get back to Dr. Grant Gifford as he continues to lead us through the understanding of biblical masculinity. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. All right. Welcome back to Transform. On this episode, I introduce the idea of biblical masculinity. What makes a man a man and not a woman? Okay, three categories. First of all, your body identifies that. The Lord has created a man. He has created features that correspond to a man. So your body. Secondarily, the Bible. The Bible identifies character traits of men. And those are the ones that I want to show you now. So if you have a Bible, grab it and let's start and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This one is something that perhaps you are familiar with because Paul is going to end the book by giving final admonitions and charges to those at the church at Corinth. I want you to go to verse 13. 
Now, to be clear, Paul is writing to men and women in the church. We know this because he uses the term you all in a plural form throughout the book. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Uh, This is not to the church leaders. This isn't to a small part of the church. We know that he's going to address women throughout the book. Chapter 11, he talks about head coverings, for instance. So this isn't something that was written directly to men. And yet at the end, he says something that's quite interesting. Verse 13, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Okay, well, Paul is writing to a mixed gendered church. So this isn't just male or female. And yet he finishes by saying, act like men and be strong. Okay, what does Paul mean? Like, I, I need to learn how to spit a loogie? You know, ah, is that, I got it, Paul. I'm so manly now. Where's my camouflage jacket, Paul? I'm putting it on. I'm getting my four-wheel drive engaged here on a sunny day. Is that what he's saying? In, in 1 Corinthians 16, he is speaking to the fact that you are to be courageous. To act like a man is to be courageous. The first character trait that I'll put before you of what it means to be a man and not a woman is that God calls men to be courageous. At the tip of the spear of being a godly man is that you are a man who is emboldened by knowing who you are in Christ and who God is. Think of courage for a second. Now, does this mean ladies, ladies that are listening to this, ladies, no, you don't need to be courageous. Just be fearful. The opposite. No, this is not distinctively saying that a, a woman will not exhibit courage in any way. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. You can't make that argument by an inverse reduction here. But what he is saying is that a man is to be courageous. You need to act like men. You need to be strong. Let me describe a scenario for you that hopefully kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies. Imagine that I'm walking and I'm walking in town. There happens to be uh, another lady from church there with her friend. And as we're leaving a restaurant, I say, oh, hey, hello. We begin to walk. As we're walking down the sidewalk, a gentleman in a, a hoodie and a mask comes up to us and he says, hey, look, give me your money. And I say, no. And I push the two women that are next to me toward the assailant. And I take off running. And I say, later, ladies. <laughs> you deal with it. I'm faster than you anyways. In that moment, you're like, Dr. Gifford, you are sick. What is the matter with you? Because in that moment, you have experienced a lack of courage on behalf of a man. In fact, that's not only a lack of courage, it's, it's in some way like a traitor. You have used other people to protect yourself. What do we call that? We call that manipulation or we call that extreme selfishness. That circumstance is so wrong because I lacked courage in that circumstance. Now let's replay the scenario. Scenario comes, oh, hello, ladies. How was dinner for you guys? Great. As we're walking, hooded man comes up and says, give me your money. And I say, not today, mister. Ladies, you guys can hit the road. Watch out, watch out, watch out. That's me karate chopping people, if you guys are wondering. And then they get out of there safely. I probably get beat up in the process, but I have protected those women on that particular occasion. In that moment, it's noble for me to even 
sacrifice my own safety to be courageous to protect these ladies. And and you think, yeah, that's what a man should do. But why do you think that? Why is that a legitimate expectation of a man? Because a man is to be courageous. And when a man lacks courage, he is acting in an unmanly way. When a man uses others to protect himself, we're now talking about something that is unmanly. Instead of being courageous, you were fearful. Or instead of being courageous, you were timid. Uh, To be courageous doesn't mean that you want to confront a guy who is being mean to women. It means that you're willing to be bold in the face of danger, if necessary. I have no special obligation. I'm not married to those ladies, and, and they're not my sister. I have two sisters. They're not either of my sister, but you know there's a problem. If I were to push those two ladies towards the assailant and take off because I'm not being courageous, courage is what is expected of a man. When a man is to be courageous, first of all, this courage isn't something that is found in his own capacities. There are men that don't mind getting into a scrap, and that's the term brawler. In fact, that term brawler is something that you cannot be and be a spiritual leader in a church. Have you thought about that? Sometimes we equate being courageous with a a man who wants to scrap all the time. It's like, hey, you say something to me? No. Yeah, you did. Okay, we're going to fight. That's not manhood. That's not what courage looks like in manhood. That's a brawler. That's a person that's quick-tempered or impatient. Courage that's demonstrated by a man is not in his own capacities. It's a confidence in knowing who God is and how God informs his own personal responses. So remember the times where you were called to be courageous. Courage is founded on behalf of what God has done. So Joshua is preparing to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And what takes place is he says, be strong and courageous. Why are you strong and courageous? Because God is with you. Let me read for you verse nine of Joshua chapter one. Have I not commanded you be strong? And courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage isn't founded upon a man's aptitude or ability. Courage is girded and it's founded upon the Lord's presence being with you. The Lord is the one that makes you bold. He's the one that makes you confident. Not confident in your own capacities, but confident in who he is. A man is unmanly when he's not courageous, but how is he manly when he is courageous by understanding God's with him. That presence of the Lord informs his response now. Why can I be courageous at work? Because I know God's with me. Why can I be courageous in difficult circumstances? I know God's with me. As a man, when you're courageous in the face of adversity, in the face of times that could actually be a little scary, what emboldens you? Well, it shouldn't be that you think, well, man, I'm really capable. Look how many degrees I have. Wow. That's not what we take courage in. We take courage in understanding that God is with us. And as a Christian, that promise brings great stability. There are circumstances that are frightening in our life. And as a man, we have to be realistic about that. The things that frighten me are probably things that frighten some of you gentlemen. I'm not necessarily afraid of the boogeyman breaking into my house. And I'm not necessarily afraid of meeting some type of natural disaster. Those aren't the things that frighten me. The things that frighten me are when a kid gets sick. Or the thing that frightens me is if my wife gets sick. 
Health issues in my family, those frighten me. There are times when financial challenges frighten me and we say, I don't know how this is going to work. How do we maintain a bold posture in those times? It's not by saying, well, I'm super smart and I have lots of degrees and everything's going to be okay, sweetie. It's by understanding who God is. And as a single man, you're facing challenges that are similar, where there is loneliness that you have to think through. There's times of feeling kind of marginalized by the church and by other relationships. You're on the outside of things at times. And what makes you courageous is not going to be a higher view of yourself. What makes you courageous is knowing who God is. One of the first aspects of what it means to be a man is that you're courageous. So I'm going to end this episode by praying in two ways. First of all, I want to pray for those of you who are men, that if there are pockets in your life where you're like, yeah, you know what? I do need to step up my game, Dr. Gifford. And then secondarily, I want to pray for those of you that are listening and you have that male in your life and you're trying to figure out the best way to challenge him and you want to see God do something. Maybe you're a parent and you have an adult son that you would love to see continue to grow. Maybe you're like me and you got boys at home and they're becoming men amongst you. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you and as men, we want to be courageous and help us not to give in to erroneous ideas of what it means to be a man in this culture, that we need to drive certain vehicles or we need to say certain words or treat people in certain ways. And that's what it means to be a man. But help us to establish, first of all, to be bold because of the presence that you have with us. We're strong, we're courageous because you're with us. And that's a key ingredient of manhood. Lord, we also pray for those that we're surrounded by. And our culture is in dire need of godly, strong, biblical men. And some of us are connected to those. There are kids, there are brothers, uh, there are husbands. I would pray for those listening to this show that you would give them grace to be able to minister well to those that needing to step up in certain ways to be strong. Help them to have wisdom. Help them to know that you're the one that ultimately forms character. And our goal is to simply be faithful. So give us grace to do this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.